0: My heart would be your Bethlehem, a shelter for your birth. My body be your dwelling place, a sacred
1: Father God, may our hearts be your Bethlehem, the place where new life is born. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Let's give a hand once again to our quartet that just uh, introduced service this morning. That was really wonderful and beautiful. The title of the song, as you likely know by now, is May Our Hearts Be Your Bethlehem. And as you know, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was born in the town of Bethlehem. And so our prayer this morning, our goal this morning, our hope this morning is that our hearts would be that place where Jesus lives. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's my great privilege to welcome you to church this morning. If this is one of your first times joining us, might I encourage you to check us out. Online at vlchurch Thank you for joining us online. If you're joining us today, uh, you can check us out there and go to the uh, go to our website and go to the banner that says "Are you new here?" If you click on that banner, um, it'll take you to a page where you can fill out some information. That'll come straight to me, and we can connect sometime this week. For those of you that are physically here, uh, you can take a communication card that can be found on the seat back in front of you, and uh, come to the welcome center afterwards. And we have a free gift for you just for attending with us this morning, so thanks. I do have a few announcements for us today, not the least of which is to remind you that we're going to be having a Meet the Pastors event right after service today, and this is for those of you that are relatively new to Victory Life Church who might want to learn more about who we are and what we do and uh, what we're up to around here and how we're trying to... Um, just advance the mission of God through Victory Life Church. And if you'd like to learn more, you can come. Uh, we're going to have some snacks in room 103 where you can meet our ministry leaders, meet our pastors, and you can ask uh, Pastor Matt all you'd like to know about the Cleveland Browns and he'll just take it from there. And, uh, but anyways, it'll be a great time. We hope that you'll join us uh, today. also want to remind you of the fact that we're going to be having a Christmas Eve service On Saturday, December 24th at 4 p.m., it's a candlelight service. We gather together as God's people to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we hope that you'll join us at that time. Then the very next day, as you know, is Christmas Day. And we are gathering together for worship on Christmas Day at 11 a.m. for only one service. We hope that you'll join us on that day. And then one week later, on New Year's Day, we'll be gathering for one service On Sunday, January 1st at 11 a.m. And hopefully we'll be gathering to celebrate the fact that the Ohio State Buckeyes beat the Georgia Bulldogs in the college football playoff. But if not, regardless, we're going to gather on a more important matter uh, to worship our Lord Jesus on that day as well. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning, and so if you've come to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, you know what to do and how to do it. You can text to give, you can give online, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary today, but indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand this morning, and in preparation for worship, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for coming into this world and for making it well-known about the fact that you were here, you announced it to us through many different ways, through many different people, and you made sure that each and every human heard the good news about the fact that the God of the heavens and the earth put on human flesh and came in the form of a baby, and the baby's name was Jesus, who came to save his people from their sins. We gather this morning because of that news, and we open and worship you through the song First Noel, which stands for the first news, the best news that we could have ever heard. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: the
2: long for at Christmas. We long to sing these traditional hymns. We long to sing these traditional carols. And sometimes the moment we hear them, we just start singing them but totally forget what we're actually saying. Because we've sang them so many times and we're just so prepared to sing Hark the Herald. Oh come let us adore him. But when you just sing and don't think about what's happening and don't put anything from here It's called lip service. Lip service is like taking a Hallmark card, giving it to God and signing your name, but not assigning any sentiment to it. God doesn't want to receive a card without our sentiment. He's heard Hark the Herald, the angel sing. He's heard it thousands, probably millions of times from people who have ascribed their sentiment to it. It's one of the most beautiful, lush, theological, worshipful carols there is. And this morning you have an opportunity to make it about tradition or to make it about him. Pleased with man as man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He came that man no more may die. It's gorgeous, it's beautiful, but is it worship? Will it be worship from your heart today?
0: see.
3: Lord Jesus, we do give you glory in this place today. Lord, let us not glory in anything other than our incarnate King. We celebrate this week that the God of heaven, the very word of God, the second person of the Trinity, humbled himself coming to this earth to save folks who were dead in their sin and trespass. And to give us new life with a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Lord Jesus, this week we celebrate your life, which leads to our life. Your sacrifice, which leads to our joy and our gladness. So truly today, Lord, be glorified in our midst. May we not glory in presents or family time. May we not glory in food and festivity. May we glory in Jesus. For you are the only object of our affection that will last into the ages. Glory to the newborn king. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, couple of uh, housekeeping items to do with you before we get started this morning. There is going to be book sales going on today from our uh, in-house author, Janice Hilbish, after the service today in the lobby. If you are looking for a last-minute Christmas gift for a lady in your life, uh, her books are directed towards women and are absolutely wonderful. I know I read them all the way through, even though I'm not a woman. I enjoy them immensely, and so you can get that last-minute gift on your way out today if you uh, so choose. Also, on your way out today, for those of you who were here last week, you heard that we are once again doing our Christmas catalogs. So many of you participated last week. Absolutely incredible. Those Christmas catalogs are a way for us as a church to bless other folks who are in need at this holiday season. We partner with Heart for Mexico, formerly known as La Fuente, to do all types of things in ministry for the last 10 to 15 years, including their orphanage, their ministry school, their short-term missions trips, their Bible school, Uh, And, of course, their overall mission, which is to plant churches in southwest Mexico. We would love for you to peruse that Christmas catalog if you have not yet decided to give a gift this Christmas unto the Lord, a special offering, if you will. Also, there's opportunity if you want to give a more personal gift to our missionaries, Daniel and Sierra Miller, who are ministering in the Horn of Africa. So if you are interested in blessing them this Christmas season, there is a smaller catalog available to them, so we hope you will participate in blessing others at this Christmas season. All right, young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time to go down the hall and do what it is you do in young disciples. All right, have fun. Young disciples are going to meet for the entirety of the Sunday morning service next week, so parents, you can drop them off at 11 a.m. and come down here and sing the carols of the season, all types of special music planned for you on the 24th and the 25th. We are very, very excited for what the Lord has for us. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me today, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We are going to pick up the story where we left off of the announcers of God's plan last week. And today we're going to see two announcers, two different announcers of God's plan. And if I may be so bold as to categorize the announcements we're going to look at today, one is the upper story. Do you remember that for those of you who went through the story with us back in 18 or 19? There was this upper story. There's the the what's God doing And then there's God being instrumental in the lives of a person or people. What what are people doing, and how is God interacting with them? So today we're going to look at the upper story, and then we're going to look at the lower story. We have an upper story announcement, and we have a lower story announcement. Two different announcers being used, and some powerful, powerful things that are going to speak into our lives today. I was leafing through my son's take-home folder from school the other day, and I was seeing the math lesson here and the reading and writing lesson here, and all of a sudden, I saw something I didn't expect. I saw the, the script to a Christmas pageant. And I thought, well, that's cool. The kiddos are doing a Christmas pageant. And then I see his name, and directly under it, I see all of these lines highlighted for narrator one. Well, I'm a bit of a ham. I like being on stage. I like when my kids are on stage. I like being the center of attention. I like when my kids are the center of attention. I'm carnal. I'm a horrible person, right? But I like this. And I'm thrilled that my son is narrator one. So I yelled, hey, son, get in here. I said, congratulations. He said, what? I said, you're narrator one. He said, what? I said, you are narrator one in the Christmas pageant. To which he replied, no. And I said, yes, you are. You're the narrator one. Your lines are highlighted, and your name's on this piece of paper. You're, you're narrator one in the Christmas pageant. He said, no, a second time. I said, yes, you are. You're in the Christmas pageant. No, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. I'm seeing it right here. Look, and he looks at it. And then he looks at me in terror, horror, and he says, I didn't raise my hand. And I said, what do you mean you didn't raise your hand? He said, I, I don't want to be in the Christmas play. I didn't raise my hand. And I said, Well, your teacher put you in the Christmas play, anyways. And he made this face. (laughs) Utter sheer horror on his face. He was about to tear up. And I said, Son, you don't understand. This is an honor. Your teacher thinks you're a good enough reader to be narrator one. You should be thrilled. This was not getting through. (laughs) It didn't matter what I say, he was horrified that he was going to take part in the Christmas pageant. And I was trying to explain to him, no, you don't understand. This is an honor. This is, this is a privilege. You get to announce the birth of Jesus. This is it. This is so great. And so I, he, he didn't agree, but we had the conversation. Well, you're going to see so many people become narrators of this story. That's why we've called this series The Announcers. Because so many different people announce the story. We'll be talking about it on Christmas Eve. We'll be talking about it on Christmas Day. Different people announcing the story of what God is doing. And here we're going to see two announcers, as I mentioned to you today, with two specific roles. And I think you're going to identify with one, if not both, of the roles. I think God's already been stirring you in some way that this holiday season's not about the gifts, not about the family traditional foods, not about... The, the gatherings. It's about Jesus and what he has done in this earth. And I, I hope that today's message will encourage you to remember that this week is about the Lord Jesus and also encourage you that, that in the days to come, you're going to play your part. And hopefully you won't have a horrified look on your face. Verse 26 of Matthew chapter 1. It's kind of a long reading today. Luke spends a lot of words on this story of Jesus' birth. And so Stick with me. If you need to do calisthenics about verse 35, feel free. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's just stop there for a minute. I didn't plan on it, but let's just do it. We got a lot of Christianese, biblical language, and I think it's important that we we suss it out for those who might be new to the church family. The house of David. David was the greatest king in Israel's history. And it's through Israel that God brings holy history. They are written about in the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible. And David is a king who was promised that one day a forever king will come from your line. And so the idea that there's going to be a forever king has been ingrained in the Jewish people for 1,000 years, but they also know that they play a specific part in God's holy history for 2,000 years. Because God said to Abraham, who is grandson of this Jacob, whose grandfather, forgive me, grandfather of this Jacob, that that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we're seeing God back up and say, here comes the Savior in the line of David. He's going to be in your womb, Mary. And here comes the Savior in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who I've promised for 2,000 years. Let's keep reading. That's the upper story. The lower story is going to begin here. And the angel, I'm sorry, and Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." And the angel departed from her. Now in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah, who we met last week, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb!' And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do you see it? Upper announcement, lower announcement. Gabriel, Elizabeth, both playing their part in the ultimate plan of God. Now, for those of you who might have missed last week, Elizabeth is a kinswoman to Mary. Elizabeth is someone who was called barren, who was past the childbearing years. Her husband, Zechariah, and she had never had a child. Zechariah was met in the cloud of incense in the temple by an angel who said, your wife is going to bear a child. His name's going to be John. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, the Savior. So from that incense-filled cloud in the temple, we get this story of hope and a new Abraham and a new Sarah, two people who should not be able to have a child having a child. And last week, we talked about the depth and the linking of the story of John the Baptist and Jesus. John is the Isaac to Jesus' Jacob. John is the Samuel to Jesus' David. John is the Elijah to Jesus' Elisha. He is the forerunner to the Messiah in the way that God's been doing it all the while. So these stories are linked, but they're not just linked from the upper story. Here we find that Mary and Elizabeth are kinswomen, they're, they're relatives, and they're going to somehow engage in this story together. But the setting has certainly changed, hasn't it? As we mentioned last week, the angel of the Lord comes into the temple in Jerusalem, into what's called the holy place where John is burning incense to simulate, if you will, the the overarching cloud of the glory of God because human beings cannot dwell with God without death being the result. He's simulating that by burning the incense as they did every day. We're in Jerusalem, in the city of David, and in in the crossroads of the ancient world, if you will, in Jerusalem, the, the place where the action should be taking place. That's where last week's story is, but this week's story is very different. This week's story is in Nazareth. Now, you can tell me all of those important events that happened in Nazareth during the Old Testament, can't you? I know you can, because there aren't any. So you can tell me about all the important things that happened in Nazareth, because Nazareth wasn't on the map. In fact, Nazareth is not just not Jerusalem, it's really, really not Jerusalem, You see, Nazareth is up in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but the remaining Jews after the exile were mostly from the tribe of Judah. So what are a bunch of Judahites, if you will, Jews, doing up in the north of the country? That's kind of odd. As best we can surmise, when many of those Jews came back from the exile, they couldn't afford to live in and around Judah. Why do people move? They move for economic opportunity. So these were descendants of David, who should have been living in and around Jerusalem, to the south and to the west of Jerusalem, but they're not. They've gone up into the land of formerly other tribes of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali, tribes that had been in disrepute for 700 years, almost 1,000 years, because Solomon had sold their lands to the king of Tyre. They're in in a, a region, if you will, that has kind of been despised from antiquity, yet they're in David's line. These people up in, up in Nazareth, they contract their lineage back to the king, and here they are, exiles in the north. They were looked down upon, not only because they're not in their ancestral lands and so much of their heritage was tied to the land, but they're looked down upon probably because they're poor, which has always been a, a, an issue in human history. They're looked down upon to the point that if you remember the story in John chapter one, When Philip goes and tells his buddy Nathaniel, hey, the Messiah has come, and he is from Nazareth. Do any of you Bible scholars remember what Nathaniel said about Nazareth? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's how well-esteemed Nazareth was in the ancient world. And this is where the angel comes to place a baby in the womb by the Holy Spirit of a humble young lady. Kind of a great juxtaposition in history, is it not? Kind of a great tension, if you will, between this incense cloud and the holy place in the temple for John the prophet to where God's king is going to be born in this backwater town that doesn't seem to have anything going for it. But once again, God's upper story is profound, it's deep, it's multi layered, and He planned it all along. Nazareth was supposed to be the place, even though no Judahites, Jews, should have been living up there in the first place. Let me prove it to you. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, God brought contempt to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, The people in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You ever seen that before? You didn't see it in Isaiah, I bet. You might have if you studied Isaiah. You saw it in Matthew, because Matthew quotes it in Matthew chapter 4 when he says Jesus came out of Nazareth. Mary understands exactly what the Holy Spirit's doing that day. Look at chapter 1, verse 79. Mary, in her great magnificat, you can just turn your Bibles, I'm not going to have it up on the screen. It, 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 in the great magnificat, her great song of praise says, in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. She knows what God has spoken to her. She knows what the Torah has said. Somehow a bunch of Jews, Judahites, a bunch of Jews, descendants of Judah, are going to have a king that comes from their line that's going to bring light to the nations from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali that was gifted to the king of Tyre. Doesn't make any sense. But God's prophecies always come true. Now, you might not have read or heard of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, but I'm certain you've heard of 5 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, and of the increase of his kingdom and righteousness there will be no end. You say, I love when he quotes scripture. No, I'm just quoting Handel. That's the beauty of what the Messiah is going to come and do from this despised region of Galilee, from this despised region of Zebulun and Naphtali that had been sold off to the king of Tyre. One more biblical thing going for Nazareth. Nazareth has a meaning. Nazareth means branch. You're like, oh, that's good. Branch. That sure means a lot. I'm going to show you one more verse I think is important. It's from Isaiah chapter 11, written 750 years before Christ. Chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Just stop there. Who's Jesse? Jesse is King David's dad. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. Now catch this. Not only has Isaiah seen a day when a Jewish king is going to come not from the land of the Jews, Judah, but from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, he sees a day that there will be no more kingly line. He calls the stump of Jesse. That means the line of kings has been cut off. The line of kings wasn't cut off in the day of Isaiah. It was still going. Hezekiah and Ahab's were on the throne during the, rain, or during the prophecies of Isaiah. There were kings in Jerusalem. Yet he foresees a day when the tree of the line of kings is cut off and a branch, a shoot, will come from the stump that will end up being the Messiah, one that's gonna come by way of Zebulun and Naphtali, a despised region where God's gonna bring his light. The line that was broken will be remade, and into this small hamlet town, God's holy history is gonna unfold. Isn't God cool? Isn't the depth The profundity, the multi-layered plan of God, incredible. None of this should take place. How did Isaiah know the king's line was going to end? How did he know? How did he know that there'd be a town named Nazareth, which means the branch, and from the branch will come the branch all these years later? Absolutely incredible. That's why I say Gabriel's story, his announcement is upper story. Where he goes and who he talks to is all about the overarching plan of God that helps us to see just how powerful and majestic and glorious is the mind of God. And all of the prophecies of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Samuel, Micah, all of these prophecies, Zechariah, are going to be fulfilled in this Jesus who's going to start in the womb of a humble young lady in Nazareth. The angel says to Mary, he will be great, great. Now, compare that to last week's message. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Big difference linguistically. Great in the sight of the Lord means he's a servant of the Lord. John's gonna be a servant of the Lord, but if you ascribe greatness to someone in the ancient world, that is the ascription of divinity. He will be great. Not great in the sight of the Lord, just great. Okay? And he will be called son of the most high, son of Yahweh himself. That's who he is. Powerful, powerful word unto Mary. Mary knows exactly what the angel's saying to her. And this is where the lower story begins. Mary says to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I can't have a baby in my womb. And, of course, with an economy of words, Gabriel describes to her exactly how it's going to happen. He says, Mary, I know that you're a virgin, but God spun out the whole universe by speaking, so God's going to speak the word, and Jesus is going to be there. Right? That's what he says. Because that's the simplicity of it. God can do miracles. All he has to do is speak the word, and the, the second person of the Trinity can take on flesh, and be in the womb of Mary, but that's not what Gabriel says. That's not what Gabriel says at all. Look at what Gabriel says. Gabriel says that the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. See, Gabriel's not answering the question that Mary's asking. If Gabriel is answering the question that Mary's asking, all he has to say is, a miracle. But that's not what He says. He says something deeply powerful and theological. The Holy Spirit literally will rest on you in the same way that he says these exact same words in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In the same way he says it's it's not that God can't do the miracle, Mary. It's that you don't know the miracle he's doing. The Spirit of the Lord has to rest upon Mary because no work of the Lord can be accomplished to this level without his presence. The Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon you, Mary, because you're going to bear the second person of the Trinity and you're going to need the Holy Spirit of God if you're going to do that. You can't do it without him. And not only that, the, the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And you say, I don't know what that means. And I have to admit, there was a time in my life that I didn't know what that meant either. What does the power of the Most High will overshadow you mean? That is a reference to a very specific event, in fact, two of them. It's a reference to the cloud of protection that God puts around his people when his manifest presence comes to bear. It's a protectionary measure. See, we as human beings are sinful and God is perfectly holy. Holy. So when God comes down on Mount Sinai in order to give the law to Moses for his people to follow, he comes in a great cloud because the people are terrified if they get too close to God, what's going to happen? They're going to die. So chicken-hearted are they that they say to Moses, we ain't going up there, Moses, you go for us. And Moses can't even stand in the presence of the Lord. Remember, God has to remove him to a cleft in a rock. Because if you're in the presence of the Lord and you're that close to the manifest presence of God, human people who have sin, they will die. And so the spirit and the power of the Most High overshadowed that mountain to protect those sinful people from God. Second, we see this exact same thing when the temple is dedicated in the book of 2 Kings. First, second, first, First Kings. The Spirit of the Lord comes down upon the temple so powerfully that no one can even stay in the temple. Why? Because God's saying, I'm going to dwell right here in the Holy of Holies, and you better be right with me, and you can't—you all aren't right with me, so get out of my temple right now, lest you die. But you'll be pretty pleased that I'm here, won't you? Because I am God. And the Spirit of the Lord fills the temple. The, the, the overshadowing presence of God comes once more. And now the third time, the cloud comes. This time, not for the law to be inaugurated, not for the temple to be inaugurated, but for the Son of God to come to earth and dwell in a person. And that person ain't gonna die. Because the power of the Most High will overshadow her and allow her to live. The power of the Most High is gonna allow her to live while bearing the Son of God. She shouldn't be able to. Now, our Catholic friends realized this, and so very early on, some Catholic theologians developed the idea that Mary was perfectly sinless, and that's why she could carry the Son of God. But Mary need not be perfectly sinless. The Bible tells us that she was overshadowed by the power of the Most High, and that's why she's able to bear Jesus without dying. The Bible very clearly states why Mary can bear the Son of God She is highly favored of the Lord, she is blessed, but she is overshadowed, so the presence of the Lord can dwell with her. So does Gabriel answer Mary's question? Kinda. But he answers an even greater question, Mary, how can this be? How can you carry the Son of God? Well, by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High, that's going to make it happen. And that's good enough for Mary her words to the angel, okay, okay, let it be to me according to your word. But then right in the middle, before she speaks those words, Gabriel gives her a nugget. He gives her a gold nugget. He gives her a weighty, beautiful, powerful message. Your kinswoman, Elizabeth, who was said to be barren, who we all know is postmenopausal, she's got a baby in her womb, and she's six months pregnant, what do you think of that? See, see, it's not just about the upper story. God cares deeply for Mary, and he recognizes that this is going to be too much for any human being to bear, no pun intended, but kind of intended. This is going to be way too much for her, and she's going to need confirmation the minute that angel departs. And what does the Bible say? Mary then goes with haste into the Judean hillside. Did you catch it? So she leaves Zebulun and Naphtali. She goes into the Judean hillside, which would have been the heritage of her forebears. She gets into this situation where she is approaching Elizabeth. And then the second announcer begins announcing, let's read it again, Verse 39 In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. There's so many jokes I could make about that. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just hoping that the baby didn't land on her bladder or something. You know, that was the joke, right? (laughs) Anyhow, she exclaimed with a loud cry, with a loud cry. A loud cry. I only, I only exclaim with loud cries when my kids are bad. Loud cry. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord with a loud cry. Now, could you imagine what Mary's feeling on her way to the Judean countryside? She's not showing yet. She went with haste. Probably can't be certain she's, she's actually with child. And she's seeking this confirmation. She's a teenager who has somehow arranged this trip. I don't know what she told her parents. Need to go see Elizabeth. Why? Can't tell you. Don't know how she arranged the trip. But she gets to Elizabeth, not showing, barely pregnant. And what does Elizabeth do? Elizabeth goes all prophetess on her. Elizabeth gives her all the confirmation. She gives her heaping piles of confirmation. Blessed are you among women. Heaping piles. Blessed are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And blessed are you because you believed. My husband didn't, but she didn't say that right here. Right? (laughs) Blessed are you. Heaping piles of confirmation and encouragement for this woman who said, Go ahead, God, place that baby there. I'm your servant. Because God loves Mary. God loves Mary. God loves Mary. He's not just working out his plan, He wanted to give her this moment. Where she would go, these next nine months are not going to be the ravings of a lunatic. They're not going to be somebody who has no idea how she got to be in this state. God gives her exactly what she needs for the nine months to follow. And when that baby arrives, what does she send Mary? Some shepherds. To give her heaping piles of encouragement and confirmation. And once that baby begins to get a little bit older, what does she send Mary? Some wise men to give her heaping piles of confirmation and encouragement because she's doing the will of the Lord and she's going to need it. Don't you love Elizabeth? Who when the, Holy Spirit come, when the Holy Spirit comes on her, her mouth doesn't say stay silent. So in the same way that Mary needed God's presence and power and protection in her life, the same Holy Spirit comes on Elizabeth so she'll speak what she needs to speak. God's servants need his presence and his power and protection. That's what we learn from Mary. But we also learn that God's servants have this gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to speak from the Lord and do what ought to be done. How did Elizabeth know? How did she know? Who else speaks like this in the New Testament? Jesus? Peter, Paul, Elizabeth's got like four things going right in the moment where the Holy Spirit's revealed to her divinely what she needs to know to give Mary the encouragement that she she needs. Mary's been told that the presence and the power of God are going to be necessary for her to do the work. But the second announcement is also from the Spirit of the Lord, and that gives her the comfort and the confirmation that she needs to do the work that she needs to do because God loves her and God wants to reassure her. I remember when I was about 16 years old, I went away on a youth camp and we were all praying and kneeling and people were praying over us, we were in the altar, we were taking time, the band was playing and we must have been there two hours. And I was praying unto the Lord and asking about my future and the Lord gave me a vision of preaching to people which was the very last vision that I would have ever wanted. I told you I'm a ham, but but not a church ham. I like being in front of people. I like performing, and this isn't performance necessarily. This is preaching. But but I, I like this milieu. But I didn't want to be a preacher. So after I got this vision of preaching to this crowd, I told no one, and I did nothing about it. In fact, I got into my senior year and I took my ACT only because I should have. I applied for no colleges and my great plan was to be on ESPN radio and talk about sports for the rest of my life because what could be better than talking about sports? This was my plan. One week, sitting just about here because our sanctuary used to face that way. A man was preaching and he stopped in the middle of his message and he said, Matthew. And I thought, no. No. Just like my son, no. I didn't raise my hand. Matthew. In the middle of his sermon, he walked down the side aisle and looked at me in the middle of my senior year where I was making no plans for my future because I knew what God had called me to and I was rejecting it. And he said, God has placed a call on your life. And he placed his hands on my head and prayed for me. And the presence and the power of God went whoosh all over me. About seven months later, I was going to Bible school. See, I had not said unto the Lord, may it be to me according to your word. I had said to the Lord, no way, pal, not interested. But someone full of the Holy Spirit came and gave me the confirmation and comfort I needed to walk into what God had called my life to be all about. Why would he do that? What would inspire him so? And does that type of thing only take place by and for pastors? Let me answer the third question first. No. God does not just do that by and for pastors. No. I reject the notion. And I reject the notion Because in Acts 1.8, Jesus said to his disciples, Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you in power, and you will be my witnesses to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the day upon which the Holy Spirit fell on the church, Peter looked at a crowd of people and said, This promise of the Holy Spirit, it is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. The same spirit that fell on Elizabeth is supposed to fall on you. That you may act according to the word of the Lord Mary and that you may speak according to the word of the Lord Elizabeth. In the same way Mary needed the presence of the Holy Spirit to do the work of God, Elizabeth, it says specifically, needed the Holy Spirit to fall on her to speak the words that God had called her to speak. We have a pattern being built by the evangelist Luke for us. That the very people whom God blesses become the announcers of God's great work, both to the lost and into the lives of people who need comfort and confirmation. Where is your relationship with his spirit today? Are you open to playing your part? I believe the nature of a lifeless and listless church is one in which the only announcers are the ones who sit in the cloud in the temple, the pastors and priests. But God's holy history takes place in the land of Zebulun and of Tali, among the humble, and in the hillside of Judea, with a woman who the world called cursed and barren. I'm not asking you to replay the events of Mary or Elizabeth today. I'm asking you, if God has moved in your life, if he has brought your blessing, changed you, brought his holy history to bear with you, why would you not want to be narrator one? Why would you not want to speak your part? Somebody that you'll encounter this week is going to need confirmation and comfort, for the Lord has already spoken to them. Somebody who you're going to encounter tomorrow is going to be groping in the darkness, waiting for a light to dawn, and it has. Will those who have been blessed by the Lord announce the word of the Lord in the days to come? Will you embrace your role? When you do, people will be changed. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Sometimes I wonder, What would have happened if that preacher up there would have said the name Dirk? How do you know it was me? How do you know my name was Matthew? Well, God knows the same about the people you'll encounter this week. He knows their name. He knows their story. He knows how many hairs are on their head. He knows how many days of their life there will be. And he has sent you as a bearer of his Holy Spirit into their life. So today as we pray, once more, for the second week in a row, same general idea, how rude, would you pray and ask the Lord if he has a word for you to share with those you'll encounter in the days to come. If you're moved in your spirit, would you just pray that prayer unto the Lord and say, Lord, give me a word. For the same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary and rested upon Elizabeth is mine. Lord Jesus, I'm going to be so bold as to pray this week what I wouldn't pray last week. I pray that each person here who knows you as their Lord and Savior and has been blessed in knowing you would share a word of encouragement, confirmation, the potential for salvation with someone in this beautiful Holy Week that we've set aside to mark your birth give each one of us something to say. Whether you've given it to us this morning in prayer or whether you're going to give it to us in the moment, may we speak. Be your announcers, for we have been blessed. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You may stand if you're ready to do so want to remind you, if you're relatively new to the church, you haven't met a lot of our staff to this point, we would love for you to come down the hall right through the second set of double doors and uh, see us in room 103 and just say, hey, let us know who you are. Let us know how long you've been coming here. We would love to talk to you and get to know you just a little bit, just for a few minutes. And so pop into that Meet the Pastors if you get a chance. And as we mentioned, we have some book sales in the hallway today, some, and we also have the opportunity to give to heart for mexico so lots of things going on hopefully we will see you either saturday night or next sunday morning god bless